thing. I thought there were crickets in the background, and I didn't know if it was me or on that whatever podcast it was. All right. Well, we're listening to this podcast now. Hi, it's Gary. Hi. Hi. I'm Dan. Patrick here. I'm out of order. Carrie. <laughs> Grandpa. All right. We got the whole crew back this time, and welcome to the 2002 Academy Awards. This is our podcast, If I Ran the Oscars, where we look at one movie from every year the Oscars were on TV. We take a look at what it won for and three other categories chosen at random to get the full film viewing experience. And we have officially entered the, uh, I believe it's a four-year stretch where we can start discussing Lord of the Rings. But we didn't. Uh, The random dice did not give us Lord of the Rings this time. We'll try again next week. Maybe. Uh, but this time we got A Beautiful Mind, uh, number two in our Russell Crowe Gets Best Picture uh, duo. And, mm-hmm. interestingly enough, number three in our DreamWorks Gets Best Picture oh. after American Beauty and Gladiator, making them the second studio to get three best pictures in a row. Wow. It does mm-hmm. not say who the first was. Okay. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, also, interestingly... Denzel Washington, second African-American to get Best Actor, after, you get no points for guessing this right. Sidney Poitier. Good job. And Halle Berry, the only African-American to get Best Actress, got it this year, for, was it Swordfish? It's not the no, Bond it's mon- film. No, it's called Monster's Ball, is what she was in. Oh. Romantic drama. Weird. Billy Bob Thornton and Heath Ledger are in it, so you know. Weird. I haven't heard of that one, but good job to her for doing that. Other than that, I don't have a lot of other interesting Academy Award facts. What I have is science facts, because we're talking about a nerd. Daniel's just nerded out during this whole film. I I did a bit of that. We're talking about John Forbes Nash Jr., Oof. who I'm not going to go into great detail about the thing that he did, but... But you should do some. I'm going to do some, because I'm going to talk about what's called Nash Equilibrium, because I actually studied a little bit about this because I took a course on game theory. So I've actually heard of this before now. And I was hoping that this would apply to something simple like tic-tac-toe. And it doesn't, which is disappointing. <laughs> Nash equilibrium is t- uh, relates to what is generally called a non-cooperative game. Now, this should make sense to you because if it's not cooperative, you're competing. We are trying to it's win. Competitive. You are trying to get a better outcome than everyone else. Maybe it's not winning. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of the point is that with his equilibrium is not that there's a winner, but you're trying to do as well as possible. Okay. And whoever does the best wins. Mm-hmm. But it's not like you lose, you're just doing the best. An equilibrium for him is everyone knows what is possible for the other person and you both make a choice such that if you choose anything else, it's worse. For the both of you. For the both of you. But especially you, but especially both of you. So the most common, simple version of this is the prisoner's dilemma, which has to do with two guys in prison, but it can be anywhere that's just discussed in prison. But it's if you work together, then you get a big prize. If you one person decides to work together and the other guy backstabs him, then he gets a decent prize, and the guy who wanted to work together gets nothing. Mm-hmm. And if you both backstab each other, then you get a small prize. <laughs> and so the best move is for you both to not work together. Ah, because Be- you get a small prize. Because you'll get a because if you decide if you know okay we're gonna both work together, but one of you is like wait 
I can just backstab him. I get less, but he gets way less. Mm -hmm. That's the one where if you choose anything else, nobody wins. I've explained this very poorly because (laughs) I'm explaining it quickly. But essentially, he came up with the general theory of how to find an equilibrium state. And its applications I talked about in the movie towards antitrust cases, armed conflicts, generally... FCC regulations. Yep. Generally anything where both sides wish to gain something. It's the concept that you can find a point where both sides agree that if we change this deal, it's bad for both of us. Right. We could get more, but then you'll walk away, and then now I get nothing. So his theory was you can always get to equilibrium if if the information is... If the information is shared, completely open and it's... The rules are reasonable. That and, was his theory. Obviously, if the rules are unreasonable, like person A always gets twice as much yeah, stuff. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. But as long as the rules are reasonable, the yeah. yeah. As long as the rules are reasonable, there will be an equilibrium point. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Again, I might be wrong, but I'm not a mathematician anymore. I stopped going to well, that school. <laughs> but that's the theory he came up with, and that's what he got his Nobel Prize for. What? Now, what's interesting is he. Got his graduate degree, his doctoral thesis, in 1950, and he got his Nobel Prize in 1994. Because that's basically how long it took for the world to figure out how good of an idea it was. Because he wasn't running around telling people, hey, use my cool idea. People were reading it and going, hey, can you apply this over here? Huh. Yeah. wonder if we can apply it over here. And it just developed into an essential concept for world politics Hmm. so that's pretty cool yeah yeah Yeah. the book that it's based on was uh, in 1997 same name uh pulitzer prize nominated so good writing to start there you ready to talk about russell crowe we can talk about russell crowe all right we're gonna do something new i can't believe that he didn't win for best actor oh yeah no he did a pretty good job uh we're gonna do something new today it's not who's been in a marvel movie (laughs) <laughs> because there's only one. It's going to be who was in a Disney production, because that includes Marvel now. And so there's more than one. Ooh. Oh, man. <laughs> there's only, there's not that many. Well, there was that one guy who was... Well, oh, yeah, no. He's, he's on the list. Don't oh, worry. okay. Sorry. Russell so, Crowe, not in a Disney movie. But we can skip Russell Crowe for a second and talk about Ron Howard. Yes. Because okay. Ron Howard... Ron Howard has done some things. Grandpa, he directed this. Yeah, Grandpa, do you remember this little TV show called The Andy Griffith Show? Oh, of course. That's where he got his start. That's right. Right. And then he did a few things, like uh, The Music Man. He was in that. Uh-huh. He was in American Graffiti. Oh, and, wait, did you say Happy Days yet? Oh, no, because that was after American Graffiti. I was getting there. He was in Happy Days, kind of a big deal. That was a TV show, kid. He, he was show. he was Winthrop in in the Music Man. Yeah, he was the little guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he talked to the list. And he wanted to, was that Gary Indiana? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. All right. See, I remember something. Yeah. <laughs> but then in 1980, he started directing and producing. Yes. Since then, he's done some stuff. Oh, how the Grinch <laughs> stole Christmas. Yeah, that was not where I was going to start. I was going to start with, well, that... C- Cocoon is a weird one to start with. I was going to start with Apollo 13. But just oh, looking yeah. at his director credits, these are films, like most of them I have either heard of or watched, and most of them I have watched. Interestingly, 
He uh, he has directed other films about people finding hidden messages in ancient codes because he did the Da Vinci Code movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, but that's fiction. Yeah, and he is our first Disney guy because he directed the Han Solo movie. Oh dear. I don't know. I in general, I really like Ron Howard's stuff. He does good stuff. Oh yeah, I do. I think he I mean, he has a storytelling ability that is that really appeals to mm-hmm. me. He's not like Scorsese or Spielberg, where if you give that if he if you get an idea that's good enough, mm-hmm. they will move mountains to make it happen. Yeah, he finds his good ideas, and he doesn't have to move mountains because people will help him push him. Well, and I also think. I think this like this particular story wasn't too complicated. And well, and it was a good story. Oh yeah. I'd be really curious about his directing credits because his first directing credit on yeah. IMDb, he was 15. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> well, honey, he was in, <laughs> When you're good at something, you do it. In the, Holy cow. Yeah. The Andy Griffith Mayberry RFD when he was so <laughs> small. Yeah. Yeah. So successful child actor. Well, you know, and then there aren't there aren't that many of those. And his parents must not have stolen all the money from him. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we better talk about Russell Crowe. Russell Ira Crowe. Okay. No wonder he doesn't use his middle name that often. Well, because his initials are Rick. Russell I Crow. Uh, yep, Russell I Crow. Uh, he is not from Australia. He's from New Zealand. But uh, my then, bad. But then he moved to Australia in twenty one. When he was 21. And uh, is still not a citizen. (laughs) He Uh, lives there. Australia. He lives there. Well, Well, (laughs) we don't know what their citizenship requirements are there. In any case, uh, his international attention was for uh, Gladiator, Mm -hmm. for which he got Academy Award, Broadcast Film Critics Award, Empire Award, London Film Critics Award, and 10 other nominations in the same category across other awards. He did do very well in that film. Yeah. This one is also on his list, but then there's also, I remember Master and Commander, which Mm -hmm. is an interesting movie. I really can't understand him in that film. Oh, I can't understand him in half of the movies he's in. Uh, But they did do some good casting then by making him Jor-El in Man of Steel, because that meant he was playing the same part as Marlon Brando, another guy we can't understand. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Uh, he uh, He was in Noah. He was, in fact, Noah. In in the movie where they tried to make the story of Noah bombastic and summer blockbuster. I believe there are rock lava monsters. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's not great. I. <laughs> it's not He's great. done some things. He has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He good. Well, of course he does. We like so him. So does Daniel Craig. Uh, he co-owns a, a rugby team because he's Australian. Good deal. <laughs> well, he lives there. Yeah. And, yeah, three consecutive nominations. This was his third in a row nomination best. for Best Actor, wow. but only got one win. So, you know. Yeah, he had a good run in the early I 2000s. thought that the, his acting was, I mean, it was very believable. Yeah. I didn't ever stop and think, ooh, that's Russell Crowe trying to pretend to be mm-hmm. somebody. So, someone who, it would have shocked, shocked me none if you had told me was married to Russell Crowe, Jennifer Connelly. She is not. She's married to Paul Bettany. Oh, really? <laughs> the the his the figment of his imagination roommate Charles yeah. Charles. That's who Jennifer Connelly, the wife in the movie, she's is... married to him in real life. Oh, but this is one where I would have assumed that she was married to Russell Crowe in real life because that happens all the time, and she was also in Noah. 
<laughs> I forgot that. Uh, she is our outside entry into being in a Disney thing because she was in a, a movie about a Marvel character before Disney owned them. She was in the first Incredible Hulk movie when it was bad. Oh my goodness gracious. But she's done some other things, like when they remade The Day the Earth Stood Still, or that Noah thing I told you about, or Once Upon a Time in America, which I hear is a decent movie with Robert De Niro in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that one. Or Labyrinth. Or how old that one is. Uh, that one is 1984. Yeah. You were a twinkle. Ooh, she was in Requiem for a Dream. That one is an interesting movie. Uh, if I recall correctly, that one was made by uh, painting over all of the cells of the movie. And so it was filmed and then they painted it. Hand painted? Hand painted all of the cells so that it would look like it was all painted. That's weird. Yeah. It's about psychedelic drugs and stuff, as I understand. Well, that might not be my yeah. kind of film. In any case. Or my kind of painting. Yeah. So. <laughs> there we we'll, go. We'll move on to someone mom knows better. We'll move on to Paul Bettany. Which... Who mom recognized immediately from a movie that is listed in his first came to attention of mainstream audiences. Really? That's A Knight's Tale. It is A Knight's Tale. It's gangster number one, A Knight's Tale, and A Beautiful Mind. And, and he yeah. has done some work. He then sure. also was in Master and Commander with Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. He was then in The Da Vinci Code, directed by Ron Howard. Yeah. He was in Solo, A Star Wars Story, directed by Ron Howard. So he was, he's been in Disney stuff, but he's also the one that's actually been in a Marvel movie. Yes. In, in more fact, than he's one been role. In, no, no. He, he's technically the same role. It's complicated. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, okay. you're right. You're he's right. The he voice, is the same He's role. the voice of the computer, and then the, the computer gets a virus and builds itself a robot body. And then the he's the voice. Then he's the voice and actor of the robot body. Yeah. So he's in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Marvel movies, and then a TV show. But I think the best part is that his part that he plays in a Knight's Tale, he is Geoffrey Chaucer. <laughs> these, yes. This uh, these uh, three guys are down on their luck, and they happen upon this naked man, mm. and he explains that. He is Jeffrey Chaucer. Haven't you read any of my stuff? You know, please, for God's sake, you know, feed me, clothe me. I, I will write things for you. Well, and then in this film, he is purportedly... An, an English person. Somebody English from the major. English department. Yeah. So Spoilers, just, he's not, some, but... Some parallels. So I thought and, that was interesting. And and I thought, I thought that his character was a really good um, contrast... It was played as a really good contrast right. for yeah. Russell Crowe's Don't character. give it away, because oh, I yeah. think people no, should watch this stuff. Until the shoe drops, he's definitely the left brain oh, he's, that he needs. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. Mm-hmm. But don't get... We, no, no we, I, you I should think watch he's this more right brain and mm-hmm. Russell Crowe's left brain, but um, that's beside the point. Whatever. In any case. <laughs> other people who are in this one, Judd Hirsch, who I definitely thought had been in other things. My brain immediately thought that he was the... He was uh, Fonzie's dad in Happy Days, and I don't think that's correct. No, 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 no. Because it's definitely not no. right. No, that's um, like... No, he was Jeff Goldblum's like, dad in Independence Day. He is, in fact, Jeff Goldblum's dad in Independence Day. He's somebody's dad. Yeah. Yeah. And, in fact, shows up again in Independence Day Resurgence when they made another one. Uh. And if you go back far enough, he was in Taxi. Yes. The TV series. Yes. And I think I recognized him most from the TV show Numbers, mm. which... 
Oh, that's true. Which has a loose interpretation of math. Right. If I'm going to be honest. Right. Yes. But he's done, He he's one of them working guys who just keeps being in stuff. They just yeah. keep letting him be in stuff. Uh, well, they want him to be in yeah. things. Someone that I didn't necessarily uh, see too much of before, but I thought I'd pay attention to, is Anthony Ramp, who plays, it wasn't Saul, he's the other one. Saul and Bender. I mean, yeah. The re- I just poked everyone's name to look at him. The reason why he's important is because he's an originator. He's the original guy that plays one of the characters in Rent. Oh. So that's kind of a deal. And then the Broadway revival of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, where he played Charlie Brown. Huh. He's also on Star Trek Discovery, the new one. I don't know that one. Yeah. So while not a huge name, I think anyone who is in Rent probably knows what they're doing because that one kind of was a thing. It was a big deal. It was kind of a big deal. Oh, yeah. He's been in Law & Order. He's been in Psych, Star Trek. Oh, he was in 13 Reasons Why. Oh, that's interesting. Next person. Another person who's been in a Marvel... Not a Marvel movie. A Disney movie. It's Christopher Plummer. Oh, Christopher Plummer. Ooh, do you remember which Disney movie he was in? Which one wasn't he in? No, which one was he in? Because there's one that's that's a very big deal. In fact, I believe it has its own line on his list of things he's been in. Well, Sound of Music wasn't a Disney movie. No, it was not. Um, I'm hoping that I'm remembering the right one, because I'm going to look really silly if I scroll down and it turns out I wasn't... All right. Nope. It's on its own... It's it, one sentence. It's, it has its own carriage return on his list of things that he's been in. Okay. Because it was the antagonist Charles F. Muntz in Up. Oh, I didn't remember that that was <gasps> Disney. That's Pixar. That's <laughs> right. That what? Because yep. I remember when we went to see that film, and then the um, the antagonist. We sat there trying to re- think of whose voice is that? That voice is so familiar. And it's Christopher. Plummer. And it was Christopher Plummer. And we thought we know that voice. Yeah. We do. We know it. And and he plays the bad guy. Yep. Uh huh. And of course, his film debut was not The Sound of Music. That was, of course, his sure. big deal. His film debut was in 1958. Wow. Stage struck. Hmm. Uh, if you'd like to hear a factoid, because he has, in fact, good at stuff, the triple crown of acting, which is... An the, Oscar. An Oscar, an Emmy, and a, Tony. and a Tony. He is the Canadian that has that. Wow. He is, of course, he is the Canadian version of OBE. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also has a Golden Globe, a SAG, and a BAFTA. Well, of course he does. He was, for a time, the oldest person to win an acting award at 82. But then Anthony Hopkins, this year, got one at 83. But he still holds the nomination record when he was nominated at the age of 88. Yeah. He died in February of this year at age 91 after filming season two of a TV show. I mean, to... Didn't he have have a... uh, The role of the senior guy... In the company, in the uh, the girl with the uh, dragon tattoo. In fact, he did. Yeah, I'm surprised you know that one. That's a relatively modern movie. No offense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I told you I used to sit up at night. The missus was long gone to bed, and I couldn't sleep, so I, I got the uh, enhanced uh, cable cable thing. Yeah, and every once in a while they'd have a good movie, and you know, I'd sit up and watch it. He was that's where I saw. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. The um, I think I mean to be. Working at your craft and st- pe- people still want you 
you know, up into your late eighties, that's fantastic. That's, yeah, that's moving. That's, mm-hmm. that's interestingly here. His page. That's why, that's why they live so. Yeah. yeah. His, Partly. His page has a list of historical figures he's played: Commodus in the fall of the Roman Empire, Arthur Wellesley, first Duke of Wellington, Rudyard Kipling, Mike Wallace in the Insider, Leo Tolstoy in the Last Station, Kaiser Wilhelm II, and J. Paul Getty. Wow. So you know. He's done such a, He was in Knives Out. Another, wow. That's a movie that's on my watch list. That's a huh. really bizarre movie. Yeah. <laughs> so that, and then the last guy on our Disney list, because I didn't pull him up necessarily for lots of work, but I did happen to randomly come across it, mostly because I was curious if he was actually a science man. Austin Pendleton. He's the guy that uh, is comes to see if he's crazy before mm-hmm. they give him a Nobel Prize. And I thought, mm-hmm. man, I wonder what he's done. Well, he did theater. Uh, he was in the Broadway production of Fiddler on a Roof in 1964. Oh. He's done a lot of Broadway. Oh. What? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like the original Broadway. Yeah. Nice. Like, he's done a lot of Broadway and off-Broadway. But his film stuff, it's a scrolling stuff. He was in the Muppet movie in 1979. Oh. That makes me uh, want to go back. He, he was in an episode of... Miami Vice, Short Circuit. Let's see, he was in Short Circuit, The Equalizer, okay, The Cosby Show. The Disney? the Disney, I have to scroll a bit here because I have to get to it. He was in Finding Nemo, and I had to look up which character he was because I don't know just by looking at it. So I'm going to have to go to the cast list here to be very specific. Gurgle, the aquarium's obsessive-compulsive royal grandma fish in the dentist's office. <gasps> She's always cleaning! Her? No, which fish? The royal grandma. It says it, I don't have a picture of the from the movie, but I have to Google that. But Gurgle. it's it's the royal grandma fish. It's kind of it says yeah. it's this one. I don't know. No, but then that's is that the one who's always cleaning? Yeah. Gosh, that's funny. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> so that runs through the people who are in this. I don't know if we want to talk too much about this one because this is another one of those that's. Kind of good, and people should watch it. We've already thrown a few spoilers in, but we didn't just make a little. Not too bad. Well, it's also based on a true story, so you right. can't spoil too much. You can kind of go because you up. could go look it up. Uh, mm-hmm. Things I do want to note is that the producer read an excerpt from the book in Vanity Fair and went, "I want to make a movie out of this." He then is that Mr. Grazer? That was Mr. Grazer. He then brought it to Ron Howard, who said, "That's really cool." Unfortunately, I have already agreed to do something. So Grazer said, okay, everyone's calling me, everyone's calling me, and he focused on a particular director, and that particular director was Ron Howard. <laughs> oh, so he just waited till Ron was Yeah, he basically was like, all right, I'm narrowing down to someone who has this kind of vision, and everyone was like, uh, you want this guy. You want Ron Howard. Yeah. Uh, but they've worked together before. Mm-hmm. They have. I, Dave Bayer a professor at Barnard College in at Columbia University okay was consulted for all of the math and in fact that the problem in multivariable calculus where he said some of you will take all year to do this mm-hmm. some of you will take all of your life to solve this he ch- he chose the problem because it was physically unrealistic but very rich in math for if someone didn't want to focus on the boring parts of math but skip straight to the interesting stuff that's complicated but fun, this that's... is the kind of problem. So all of us sitting here just look at it and go, 
I understand none of this. Yeah, that just looks like gibberish. But if you did understand it, you'd go, oh, this is still gibberish. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, and was he the one? So then yep. he makes a cameo appearance he at has, the yep, end. He has a cameo at the end as one, one of the, the professors with the pen. pen. Yep. Yeah. Probably the other interesting thing I noted, besides the music, which I think is pretty good, but we're not, unfortunately, not talking about that. You it, will. I don't think Eventually. talk about it a little. <laughs> The film was shot mostly chronologically, which is very weird for movies. Movies are shot around when they have access to things, yeah. mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. But the reason they did so is because of the makeup. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh. They wanted to keep things in order. Interestingly, they filmed in on at Princeton, obviously. Mm-hmm. There were a few shot at the Vanderbilt Mansion Ballroom. In Nashville? Uh, in New Jersey. Oh, okay. At Fairleigh Dickinson University's campus. Okay, sure. And there were some scenes shot at Harvard, except that they weren't. They were shot at Manhattan College. Okay. Because Harvard doesn't let people film there anymore. Because Harvard let people film the movie Love Story there in 1970. And they uh, banged up all their trees. Oh my goodness. And now Harvard doesn't let anyone film on Harvard anymore. <laughs> you know, you gotta have... Trees. You have to have... Boundaries. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we are talking about writing very specifically on this one, but if we w- if you want to let me nerd out a little bit about the music, because the opening song comes on and I immediately recognize it, and I don't know why. This is. I mean, we're still sitting here chatting, and but Dan is totally geeking out because he knows this. And I, music. He's, I, saying, I, he's humming I, along. I was humming along, <laughs> and I couldn't remember where I had heard it from. I had never heard anything. Yeah. Now I I do kind of like it because it's got it's uh kind a little ethereal kind of melody going up and down. Mm-hmm. It's it's a pretty good song. You should definitely listen to it. And the guy that uh wrote the music wrote the music for uh Titanic and Wrath of Khan. So so he, I mean he's got some cred. He's got some cred. And James Horner, if you yes. want to know. And so now out of nowhere, I'm going to talk about Sean Connery. Okay. <laughs> So, there's a website on the, what, what is on the internet, <laughs> called YTMND, and you do not need to remember this for anything important in your life. Okay. It stands for You're the Man Now Dog. Okay. Which is a line said by Sean Connery in I Did Not Look Up Which Movie. Okay. But essentially, this was created initially to be, it was a still image of Sean Connery from that scene and a sound clip of him saying that on loop. Oh dear. And that was it. Somebody made a web page for that. Not only did they make a web page for that, they expanded upon it such that other people could post their own still images or animated GIFs with background sound and that was it. It was really low impact, so it was easy to load back in the ancient times of the internet okay. and you could make simple pairings of audio and visual and make a joke okay and a long time ago back when i was in college the first time so we're talking pre-2010 uh-huh i downloaded off the internet the ytmnd soundtrack which consisted of <laughs> i'm sorry basically see it was these cd length playlists of mp3 files such that you could burn them onto a CD and play them in your car. Oh, wow. Because we all had CD yeah, players. Yeah, I did. I did. I had taken a CD player out and I had shoved out of my desktop and I shoved it into a 
hard drive externalizer and I had an auxiliary port on it and I plugged in computer speakers to it and I made myself a boombox. Why are you laughing? <laughs> this sounds so perfect. Anyways, it was something like 13 to 15 like CD length playlists and they were all the top songs that had clips used on these random internet jokes. Oh my goodness. And this was one of them. Oh my goodness. And so I have this song on my computer. Back from the olden days. Back from when I had an iPod that you had to, had a, didn't have a, a touchscreen, had a wheel, and it had more storage space than my desktop because I had an old computer that I got for free. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that's where I knew this song so, from. So where's it now? What, the, the computer? Oh, in a, in a bin. Huh? Oh, that? Oh, also in a bin. <laughs> I don't have that iPod anymore. Are you kidding? Could <laughs> you still have that song on your computer? Yeah. It survived about seven different hard drive crashes. Wow. You still have it. I, I have the song. I don't have the iPod. Oh, but I still have that song available to me. Okay. Also, now I have the internet, so I can have the song whenever. But that's beside the point. <laughs> so, talking about the music, though. Yeah. Horner is prolific. Oh, yeah. With his film music. And, oh, yeah. And or conduct, conducting. Oh, yeah. And... So many films that I have viewed that he has done the music, uh-huh. at least conducted. Piles and piles of very familiar films. So you can just go down a gigantic list. Field of Dreams, he was a conductor musician. Um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, you mentioned a couple. Um, Batteries Not Included. Sneakers. Pelican Brief. Braveheart. Titanic. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I mean, it's just like... Piles so, of besides films. winning for Titanic and My Heart Will Go On, specifically from Titanic, he got two that year. Yeah. He was nominated eight other times mm-hmm. for Aliens, what? the uh, best song from an American tale. Okay. Field of Dreams, Apollo 13, Braveheart, A Beautiful Mind, House of Sand and Fog, and Avatar. Oh my goodness. Which came out in 2010 if you want to feel old. Oh, golly. sure <laughs> Now that's because they're finally making another one. It took them a while. Duh. Uh, anyways, we should really talk about what we're here to talk about, which screenplay. is the screenplay. Adapted screenplay to be specific, but the screenplay nonetheless. The writing was good, people. The writing was good. This was my writing jam. This is what I complain about every time a movie has a substandard ending. Uh-huh. Is you bookend your movie. You put a little bit at the end that makes you remember the beginning, so you remember where you started, and it feels like a complete story, not a random ending tacked on the end. And they did it three times. This yeah. was really yeah. good. I mean, yeah. Three times. I counted two. I, I don't know what I the def- I don't, I mean, I'd have to go back and yeah, actually watch it again, for sure. But they definitely did it at least yeah. twice. I'll oh, give you yeah. two. That ending was something else. Well, they, yeah. they had the, are you eating? Mm-hmm. And they had the playing go. And what was the third one? And the third one was the pens. Third one was the pens. Yep, yep there were yep, three. Yep, the pens ceremony. And that besides besides just making me happy, it had little things that it didn't have to explain. That well, you noticed there was when, a little joke. There yeah. was a little. There were just little things. It felt like real people talking. It's this is the happy medium that I think Mom would have liked Star Wars to be. Oh no, oh, kidding! Yeah. Oh, where absolutely. it's not Shakespeare because you. We would you would not have watched this if it was Shakespeare. It would have been overly flowery and not believable. Well, but if it was Shakespeare, there also would have been some buffoonery. <laughs> True, but 
it also didn't feel like teenagers. It did. Which is the problem that when I was taking screenwriting was the teacher constantly complained about how badly everyone was writing teenagers mm-hmm. because they didn't sound like real teenagers. They sounded mm-hmm. like adults trying to think of what teenagers sound like. Mm-hmm. Oh. This at no point felt like someone who's never been inside of a classroom trying to sound smart. True. This all this felt like someone understood what an insane math person would sound like. And it was yeah, it was very believable. Yeah. Like you believe that these characters were really these people. Also, when the shoe dropped, I did not believe the movie. Oh, yeah. They had me fooled. And I don't and I mean I was fooled. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I mean, it was like it was one of those that made me sit up and think, "Oh wait, oh oh." I, I thought I had misunderstood what it was saying at that point. I thought I knew what the movie was about. I and thought I, was I knew. I was wrong. So that's I think but that's, that's another the... good piece of good writing yeah. that it it takes you as a uh, a viewer as a partaker and it takes you down the path and but it introduces you to something different. Yeah. Now. In a nice transition to our first bonus category, the screenplay based on another medium includes In the Bedroom, which we talked about a little bit, Mm -hmm. The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, which some people have heard of. How many copies of that do we own? Do we still own the other? I think we own one. We own one. one. Grandpa, do you still have a copy of The Lord of the Rings? Never had one. Really? (gasps) Books, yeah, but not... Books, but not the film. I've never well, seen... Not, I've never well, not seen the movies, movie. but you have the books, right? What? Do you have the books? Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, there yeah, we go. See, that's, what, that's what I was asking. Yeah. yeah. All right. And Shrek. Ah. And our first bonus category is Best Animated Feature Film, which this movie obviously was not even in consideration for, but it is important to continue discussing because this is the first year that award existed. In previous years, starting mainly with Toy Story, best the best animated movie, which had started being a thing, would get a special award for being the one good one. This year had two good ones, and a third one that had to be in the list for reasons. Shrek beat out Monsters, Inc., which I was a little surprised about, because mm-hmm. that movie is also very good. Yeah. Also nominated, Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, which I remember watching, and is bad. Yes. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. Oh, you don't want to see that one. You well, can no. see the other two. Shrek? <laughs> Shrek, we we would have watched Shrek if it had come up, and you would have had to understand. But I think Shrek is well-written. Mm-hmm. And I also think that Monsters, Inc. was well, well-written. Definitely. I really like the characters in both of those. Um, yeah, and I think there's something to get out of them. It's not just a cartoony thing. There's a moral to the story there. Yeah. Uh, but... Sadly, we did not watch Shrek. No. We do not get to see anything about that. I think I have watched it recently. Yeah. Uh, Our next bonus category is Best Picture, which it won. Good job. Yes. It was a good movie, and honestly... Go watch it. Even just based off of Lord of the Rings also being in there, this means that this was not a slouch year. Correct. For Best Mm -hmm. Picture. Right. And our third bonus one is Best Actress. Now... Did she get Best Supporting Actress? She, in fact, did get Best Supporting Actress because there was not a main actress in this movie. Mm-hmm. So we can cheat and talk about Jennifer Conley. We could cheat. Because she is the best actress in this movie. Correct. She did a good job. And yeah. she did a good job. Yeah. And, in fact, was going up against, if we want to talk about whether this is a down year or not, Helen Mirren and Maggie Smith. 
Huh? <laughs> she was up against both of them? Yeah. For their parts in Gosford Park. Yeah. Oh, golly. So, you know. Going huh. up against some heavy hitters. And Kate Winslet. And I don't know who Marissa Tomei is. Oh. Oh, she did. Is that? Oh, I think she was in a Marvel movie. Yeah, no, she's Spider-Man's mom. <laughs> Spider-Man's mom. Oh, okay. So funny. So, you know, did okay. Uh, I think overall we got, we picked the correct Russell Crowe movie to watch. I think um, this versus Gladiator, this would have, this was definitely the better of the two movies. Well, I'm glad to see this one. Yeah. Know. Yeah. <clears throat> Even though I couldn't hear a lot of it, but I could follow it. Could follow it. Yeah. That, that is the fault of Russell Crowe trying to do a slightly neurotic West, West Virginia it accent. It wasn't only his voice, it was almost all the rest of them play. Yeah. That's me. I can't. Yeah. So, any mm-hmm. any closing thoughts or interesting Academy Award facts? I don't know. I guess um, I didn't have anything really specific aside from the fact that I really did appreciate the uh, the screenwriter mm-hmm. and and the amount of projects he has done that I am familiar with and I actually liked. So... And pay attention to the makeup people. When you watch this film... Are you looking looking at this guy? Yeah. Yeah, see, you say that, but he also wrote Batman and Robin. So I have to deduct points from him for that one. Okay, I'll give you that. (laughs) I think that the way that they transitioned and that the way that this movie moved forward in time was excellent. Mm -hmm. And it was... It was not jarring. Yes, they did have some of those. I don't know what you call it when there's writing on the screen. You got to read that. Yeah. Oh, they're back at Princeton. Well, that's that's when they were going only a year or two in the Mm -hmm. future. Right. So you couldn't tell visually what had changed. Mm -hmm. But the costumes and the makeup and the hairstyles gave you an indication that we were moving from the 50s to the 60s to the 70s to the 80s to the 90s. It really benefited from... In, not, in a not, subtle thing, not obvious things. Yeah. But even when when I mentioned that the little girl was holding the Green Eggs and Ham book, yeah. and yeah. that that is a time setting element. Well, she had Wanda really, Gog. She had a Wanda Gog before right. that, and that's really even older. Subtle. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. It was really mm-hmm. subtle, but it was there. So mm-hmm. you kind of knew what it was. It was nominated for makeup, and you will receive no prize for telling me what won for makeup. Um, Avatar. No, that was in twenty ten. Uh, oh wait, what? Braveheart? No, Lord of the Rings. Oh, <laughs> oh yes, of course. But Lord of the okay, Lord. No, I got no points for that. Anyway. No, th- that's the movie where they made people be the same, be different heights while being the same height. Oh, that's true. That's true. Which was probably made not an, actually makeup, but well, no, that was special effects. But they did have to do it with the dwarf too. Yeah. Oh, and they uh, and they had a lot of characters with some rather that extreme part. makeup. Yeah. Well, can I be allowed one critique? One you minute. you may. Well, uh, early in the courtship, when they're looking out at night, good shot, no question about that. But they're looking up at the sky and all these stars and the Milky Way. It's not possible. That's this is. I don't know why they didn't do a, what, in my opinion, a little better job by making it realistic. Because I thought an awful lot of realistic stuff in it. Because you can't see the Milky Way with that much, just like you're trying to find it. Oh, ambient light. Yeah. Yeah. Ambient city lights. I think that one is a concession to it's a movie, and the scene would be really boring if well, it was look at the yeah. night sky and find all three stars. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's no. true. I, I understand yeah. that, and I wish that we could see the night sky better here, and we can't. Yeah. Yeah. I can see Orion's belt from time to time if I pay attention. Oh, yeah. That's out the backyard. That's out the backyard. Mm-hmm. That's true. All right. 
Well, we want to thank the Academy for doing its job and thereby pointing us in the direction of quality filmmaking. Bye. 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 Bye.